What is up, everybody? Adrian M. Gibson here. What you're about to hear is the audio version of a live author panel recorded at TBRCon 2023. TBRCon is an all-virtual sci-fi, fantasy, and horror convention that I directed and organized and was founded by David Walters of FanFi Addict. And this year, we had the pleasure of hosting 30 author panels, which were absolutely amazing, and I highly recommend checking them out. But since so many of you listen to podcasts and prefer that over watching things on YouTube, I have published this live author panel here on the SFF Addicts podcast feed. I'll be releasing a new author panel every Friday until they run out. So until then, sit back and enjoy this week's TBRCon 2023 author panel. Enjoy. Welcome to the panel about querying agents and traditional publishing. Uh, I'm your moderator, Andrea Stewart, and I just wanted to first go around and have everybody introduce themselves. So uh, why don't we go ahead and start with Sebastian? I can see you like right here to my left. So, uh, Sure. Hi, I'm Sebastian DeCastel. I'm uh, mostly known for writing The Great Coats, which is a swashbuckling adult fantasy series. And... Spellslinger, which is a young adult uh, fantasy series, and the Argosy books, and then I have a kind of nutty book coming out um, this year called Malevolent Seven. Hello, uh, Alexander. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm Alexander Darwin. Uh, my debut adult sci-fi is out from Orbit Books in June. Um, it was previously self-published and was acquired, and uh, very excited to be here. That's awesome. uh, Rebecca, do you want to just go ahead and we'll... Sure. Hi, I'm Rebecca Roanhorse. Um, let's see. Uh, most recently, I guess I wrote, I have my book here for a handy visual aid, uh, Black Sun, which was nominated for a Hugo uh, and subsequently lost that Hugo. Um, let's see. I've also written uh, for Star Wars and for Marvel. Uh, and I have about, I guess six or seven uh, books out in the Between Earth and Sky series and in the um, Sixth World series. And I'm Kevin Hearn. I wrote the Iron Druid Chronicles and the Ink and Sigil series, which is kind of in the same universe that uh, carries off where the Iron Druid Chronicles leaves off. And uh, the Seven Kennings Epic Fantasy Trilogy, which finishes up this year with A Curse of Krakens. And I am the co-author of The Tales of Pell, with Delilah S. Dawson. I'm Moses Ose Utomi. Um, I'm a Nigerian-American writer of fantasy. I have my books here as a visual aid. Um, I have a YA fantasy coming out in like two weeks. It comes out February 7th. Um, and then I also have an adult fantasy novella. It's the beginning of a trilogy. Um, this one comes out March 21st. Nice. So you can see we have a broad range of experience here. Uh, I'm. Uh, and I think I said that already. I'm Andrea Stewart. I'm the author of the Drowning Empire trilogy. Um, so uh, just a quick note, uh, there is going to be a Q&A section. If you wanted to go ahead and drop questions in the comments, then I will go ahead and uh, check those at the end of our um, panel. So the first question I wanted to ask was, how did you come to write your pitch or your query? 
how long did that take you and what sort of resources did you use? So Moses, why don't we go ahead and start with you? Yeah, I lucked out a little. I'd taken a um, certificate in book publishing course in my alma mater. And one of the classes was devoted to querying agents. And so they gave us these really like clear rules on how to go about it. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of methods, but the one I learned was that like, you essentially have a three paragraph structure. The first paragraph kind of gives a quick uh, synopsis of your book. Uh, the second paragraph basically talks about why you're querying that agent, which will include like word count, um, genre, age range to show like this, you're querying this agent because they represent this field or because they represent another author in this space. I actually, Kevin, you were uh, one of them, one of my comps for my first book. Um, <laughs> and then the third paragraph is essentially like, why are you the person to write this book? What what uh, connection do you have to the material? What makes you the best person to tell the story? That's kind of the structure I learned, and I just followed it. Oh, that's great. That's fantastic. Um, I'm sorry, I, I I didn't mean to like editorialize. <laughs> <laughs> It, did you want me to go next or, or? Oh, yeah. Sorry. Go okay. ahead. Go, go um, next, Kevin. So I, I wound up getting a list of agents to query from, uh, it, it's basically called agentquery.com. And they it lets you sort agents by genre. And so I just sorted for fantasy agents and then grouped them into little chunks of six. Um, and then I would send out my queries uh, six agents at a time. And when I just got blanket rejections on the first six, I realized my query letter must really suck. So I had to revise that a little bit. Um, and then, you know, I got a little bit, some, some nibbles, but nothing solid for the next two rounds. Um, but uh, in the last round, uh, you know, or the fourth round, I should say, um, I, I got uh, a couple of uh, full manuscript requests and then one, one representation offer so you know 23 agents said no but i only needed the one to say yes right, right. so uh yeah things worked out from there so i did i, I didn't have uh any I, i'm kind of envious that moses had that training on how to do it uh right because it took me a while to figure it out uh i actually wrote my pitch and my query uh via twitter uh i entered a dv pit which is like a diverse voices pitch contest uh, back in the day, I guess it was like 2018, maybe. Uh, and so wrote my pitch there, got some interest, won a contest uh, where another author would read your query and offer notes. Uh, and so I had uh, another author read my query <laughs> and offer notes, uh, help me tighten it up. Uh, and then I researched agents. I just went online and looked at who they, you know, who other authors I liked, or I thought I wrote, you know, sort of like uh, who represented them. And I cold queried those agents. Uh, and yeah, that worked out. So Alexander, I know your process to traditional publishing was a little bit different. Yeah, <laughs> I, it was it was quite different, I think. Um, and I, I can talk a little bit of, about it more because it was is kind of a little bit long winded. And I, I don't want to take too much time uh, right now. But essentially what happened was um, the book was a, was self-published, uh, The Combat Codes, and it was a finalist in SPFBO Mark Lawrence's contest. And that got it some kind of like a, it revived it a little bit. And actually again this is kind of the the short, short story i got picked up by caa uh due to a film option 
and I use that as a springboard to just query some like like two or three agents. Um, and so it was a very untraditional query, pretty much like this book is going to be a moot. Of course, we know nothing. <laughs> <to do. laughs> but I I, I used it, and I was just like, well, this is. Uh, for some reason, I'm kind of pseudo like CA is this giant amorphous agency, as as you know, and so I was kind of getting represented them, but like not really. I was just like in there. I was somewhere like in there, <laughs> like that. I guess to some extent, for authors, they don't really represent authors unless you're like Michelle Obama, but they represent like the book itself, mm -hmm. the deal. Um, so I was kind of sort of representative of them and I just used that to, to springboard and, and was able to connect with with an agent and a few agents and um, had had some success there. How about you, Sebastian? Um, yeah, I'm actually a terrible example too in the sense that uh, <laughs> I, I sent out, I, th I think I sent out like 10 or 12 queries and then, um, but I got my book deal the old fashioned way, which is I, I married a librarian. And waited until her career was big enough that she was at a conference um, at having dinner with the, at that time, the head of Penguin uh, International in Penguin Canada, uh, whose wife was starting an agency. And then um, through, uh, I do not understand the means by which it happened, but apparently it had something to do with talking about the fact that we had 400 fantasy novels in our garage prompted uh this wonderful guy named Mike Bryan, we're friends now, uh, just to, to say, oh, his wife was starting an agency. And um, and so, uh, and Christina, my wife, had come back to the hotel room. I was just there because I love a good hotel room. And uh, and she said, oh, you know, the, there's this, uh, they're starting, there's this new uh, literary agency starting up and, uh, and you know, uh, uh, um, Heather Adams is starting and, and uh, uh, they want you to send your uh, manuscript. And I said, uh, that's ridiculous. You were just having dinner with somebody. They were being polite. And then he sent a follow-up email and then his, and then Heather sent a follow-up email. And then I, I sent that. So for all my, all my, all my many, many hours of pouring over query letters, like I responded with, shall I send you the query letter and samples? And, and Heather said, no, no, just send the manuscript. Um, which is when I sort of realized that the query letter is almost like this weird device in some ways that's like a trap uh, that allows someone to see that they shouldn't read your manuscript as opposed to the thing that's going to kind of get them to. And I think that's why what Moses uh, said right off the top about like sticking to like the, the really straightforward process is probably the best bet, I think, for most authors watching. Um, to just like, you know, don't try to kind of be too, I don't know, I'll, I'll, I'll pass it on now, but just that, that just recognize that a lot of the ways that that's act, that letter actually ends up manifesting is, is as a cue for people to kind of not read the manuscript and you really kind of just need it to be a gateway to just open the door for them to pick up that first page. Yeah, I, I'm a little bit jealous of Moses, too, because I didn't have any kind of I didn't take any class or anything. So I was like just scouring the Internet and like posting it from like Absolute Right and like I think a couple other websites to try to get some feedback. I queried like three different books. So I had like sent out like 85, I think, on one and about like 25 on another and like 35 on the other one. Anyways, it was a long process for me. <laughs> So it's it's really interesting to hear how, you know, it's not always the cold querying that gets you an agent and gets your foot in the door with publishing. It can go a different way as well. 
Um, so another uh, question that I wanted to ask, because I think um, this is pretty important if you're going the route of traditional publishing is, you know, they say it's better to have no agent than to have a bad one. Mm. Um, but how do you find the good agents? And also, you know, like when you're really badly wanting to be published and you're kind of like just knocking on that door over and over again, how do you actually ensure that you're signing with an agent who is a good fit for you? Um, so uh, let's just mix it up. And um, Alexander, why don't you go first? Yeah, again, so I, I came at it uh, via a bit of an unorthodox path. So again, I want to just have a disclaimer to make sure that it's not necessarily what what'll work for for everyone that might be watching. And I do think, um, as Moses and Sebastian said, like kind of following the rules to some extent will will probably be better than not following rules most of the time. But then then again, um, that's not that really wasn't the case for me. Um, as far as uh, I haven't, I've only had one agent. Um, so I haven't had a bad experience and I love my agent, Ed Wilson. Um, and, um, you know, I, I had sp spoken to one or two other agents and the, the real difference that I saw with Ed was that he, he vocally said he wanted to represent me as an author for my career, as opposed to just represent the book. And that, that was a big deal to me because that's just like, it makes sense. And if I, given I, I want to have a career as an author. Um, it's not just about, you know, this book, this deal, this, this money, whatever it might be. So that was really a, uh, you know, a white flag to, to, um, you know, pick Ed, uh, over, over the other agent. And as far as whether it's better to have no agent, I don't know. Uh, I'm not sure if that's true or not. I mean, clearly a bad agent is not a good thing, but they might be able to get you in the door. Um, so I'm, I'm really not sure on that one. How about you, Rebecca? Um, yeah, I, I think I agree with what Alexander said about looking for someone who wants to represent your entire career and not just the book. Uh, when it came time for me to uh, pick between two agents, I had one agent who was like, oh, we can get you a lot of money. Um, we're going to like, you know, pitch this as YA. This was actually 2016, not 18. So YA was still really hot. Um, and, you know, we're going to do this and this and this. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds cool. Uh, but, you know, what do you think of my story? You know, what do you think of uh, in my in the book she was going to represent? Uh, there was a very <laughs> violent child death in the first chapter. And I was like, well, what do you think about that? And she's like, well, we might have to soften that. And then, you know, so I'm not going to give it away. But at the end, something uh pretty tragic happens uh, and it does not end on a happy note and the book does not. And I was like, well, what do you think about that? And she's like, well, we might have to change that a little bit too. So I was like, okay, so clearly she's not that in love with the story itself. You know, there are things that she doesn't seem to be, you know, sort of uh, grasping what I'm trying to do, you know, and, and where I want to go and what kind of author I'm going to be. Uh, so even though she was promising, you know, sort of like flash and money and la 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 la, all this stuff, uh, I could tell she was not going to be the agent for me. Uh, whereas my, uh, oh, and also just one other thing I want to add when I was like, well, what editors do you think you want to send it to? Because these are all questions you should be asking before you sign with an agent. Because that's their job is to know the editors and to know the publishers and to help you navigate that. 
Uh, and she was like, well, you don't need to bother yourself with, with who the, who the editors are. You won't even know their names, you know? And I was like, whoa, whoa, okay, maybe not, but you know, you should, and you should be able to like explain that to me. And then the agent I ended up going with, she was like, well, I have a list of four curated editors that I think are a good fit for you. And here's why. And so that was a very sort of different response than, you know, the, the first one I got. And she loved the story as it was. She didn't think I needed to change, you know, the violence or anything like that. Uh, so, so that's sort of what helped me determine what was a good agent for me and who was not. How about you, Kevin? Did you stay with the same agent or that you got your query? I've actually recently changed agents. Um, oh. and, uh, the the First of all, what Alexander and Rebecca were saying is also just awesome. Um, and, and especially Rebecca, all that, that stuff about how, you know, just really asking the agents, hey, what, what do you think about this story? And you have to think about what do you want as an author? How editorial do you wish your agent to be? And with my first agent, um, I didn't want it at all because um, I, I didn't like um, his input or his suggestions. They were completely different from what my editor uh, was looking for. And that's I wanted to go with what my editor wanted. And because it's, it, it, I could see that the book was improving, um, you know, according to what her uh, you know, instincts were. So, um, when I it was time for me to switch agents, uh, I had uh, several on the line, and, and um, I was asking some of these questions. But you know, here's this pitch that I've got, or this outline I've got for this story. In one case, I, I actually had a full novel too. So, like, here's a lot of material that we could potentially sell. So, what do you think of these stories? And what they were, what their responses were, uh, told me quite a bit about what kind of agents they were going to be for me. So um, I was at a point where I did want some editorial uh, input into what I was writing because I hadn't basically had that. You know, I just had the editorial input from my actual editor, but nothing from my agent for all that time. So um, I wound up going with, uh, you know, Stacia, who is very, very good with her editorial uh, comments. And I, I thought it was incisive and helpful and it was going to make my story better. So that's what I was kind of looking for, and, and I went with her. So. Moses, how about you? I mean, this is all good wisdom. I hope everyone's taking notes because I'm not going to add much. But um, yeah, I, I had a so I, I had written a pre before. These are my debuts, but before then, I had written a book that I was convinced would be my you know my splash, and I got one offer on it, um, and it sounded similar to Rebecca's experience, where when I started talking about the book with the agent, just didn't feel right. The things they were suggesting didn't quite make sense to me. They didn't quite know the market, the specific market I was hoping for as, as well as I I expected some of the, yeah, it was a bit weird. So um, I didn't have another book, but I, I backed out at that, at that time and decided just to write something else. And I think if I can offer anything unique, maybe there, there's, in terms of differentiating good agents from bad agents or maybe more concerning like honest agents from scammers, of course, there's going to be a degree of desperation. I think we all know what that feels like when you really want a book to be published. But I also think you have to understand that like predators prey on that desperation. So you have to have a certain amount of confidence. You have to know who you are, know what you want, know who's in your corner, and know um, that you're not going to uh, let somebody prey on that really awesome instinct you have to get your book out in the world. How about you, Sebastian? 
Boy, I, I got, I was just so lucky, um, you know, and I think what it sort of taught me is that in, in fact, you know, when you're sort of looking for an agent, as much as you're looking for an agent, you're looking for a relationship uh, with someone because your agents kind of really is your kind of co-conspirator a lot of the time. And it, and so you need to, be, it has to be someone where, and I, and I think this bears out with what uh, Rebecca was saying and what Kevin was saying, uh, you have to you have to feel like you can really trust this person. When I first uh, met Heather, our first phone call, I said I was looking for. I, there were three things I wanted an agent, and I still think these are the three things that I would look for if I need, if I needed a new agent, which is um, someone has to have connections. And and the problem with a lot of the people that might kind of um, whether whether or not they're predators, they, they they can be entirely sincere, but the people that sort of aren't seriously good agents is they they might have they might be interning in an agency that you've heard of that has authors that you heard of but they themselves have never cracked the deal um and there's a lot of that that goes around there's a lot of people who start at sort of either minimum wage or not even minimum wage basically um and and they're sort of told okay well now you've learned enough you can try and get clients um, but if they haven't made any deals themselves, not through their agency, but themselves, then they probably don't have those connections. And the way that my book got bought, um, was, was Heather calling up an editor and saying, I, you know, I want to go for, uh, for lunch with you. And I want to tell you about this author that I'm really passionate about. And, and like, you know, you, you need to kind of someone who's going to create that spark for you. So the first thing was for me was they needed to have those connections. The second was they need to really believe in the book. Um, it sounds kind of silly and, and maybe other people have, would disagree with this and I, 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 I certainly welcome it, but I, I you really want your agent to be a fan of your writing. You know, you, you want them to enjoy reading your books that they don't think get published just because they, they just like your writing, which, cause that sort of means that they get your writing. Um, and then the third thing was I wanted someone that was going to be really transparent with me, like really just tell me the bad stuff. I want to know the, which editors have turned it down. I don't, you know, like I'm not that kind of a person. I'm, I'm the kind of person where I, I'm more anxious at not knowing what is true than I am something that is bad. Um, because if I know something's bad, if I know that, you know, and this is happening right now, I have, a, I have a mystery novel that I think is like the greatest thing since sliced bread. I love this thing. It's working well. And every conversation I have with agent because uh heather retired and, and put me on to a new agent also great john wood at rca literary in london uh and every conversation is like yeah i know this other person turned it down this other person but all of that's like information like i can use that i can take that and shape what i do next but if someone's always sort of trying to do it sometimes authors get infantilized um where we're like snowflakes and, and nobody wants to tell us what's actually going on then you, you have nothing to work on so those three things for me—that's that's the definition. Do they have those direct connections to the editor you want to work with? Um, are they big believers in writing, and and are they going to be really honest? Yeah, I think communication style is like really important. Oh, I'm sorry. Go on, Kevin. No, I just I just wanted to piggyback on one thing that Sebastian was saying about how they agencies yeah. have interns. Um, that's that's how I got picked up. I found out years later. I found out like eight years after the fact that. Um, the only reason my agent ever even saw my manuscript or query, et cetera, was that an intern had read it first and then passed it on. So this is not true for all agencies, but many agencies actually have interns on staff that are the ones going through 
the slush pile first. And then they are the ones who are kind of filtering things out to actually pass on to agents. And you just have no idea. So uh, sometimes when you get these form rejections, it means that the agent hasn't actually seen your stuff. It An intern actually wound up rejecting it. Uh, so that happens. Just be aware. I don't want to be discouraging or anything, but it is a thing that happens. And I didn't fight, figure that out until years later. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think it's fascinating that that is going on and nobody really knows. And, um, yeah. and, and then the agent, some of the agents that, that rejected me, you know, I wound up meeting them later and they had no idea that I had ever queried them. The exact same thing happened to yeah. me. Yeah, that exact thing happened. I was at a, I was at a party. It was after uh, I just I'd signed the deal and an agent sort of started talking to me and I was like, you i sent it to you twice and you guys never even sent a form rejection and, and wow. she had never seen it so the only thing that i want to add to that is um i think that it's okay if you have an offer of representation to reach out to other clients and ask them about their experience with that agent um i've had people contact me about my agent I'm always very happy to talk about her. I love her. She's amazing. Um, but yeah, I think that that is a good way to kind of get the load on down on like, what is their communication style? How might you mesh? Um, it's just another kind of data point you can use. Yeah. And I'll just okay. add to that, you know, yeah. the, you should do as your, as an author, you need to do your due diligence. You do need to talk to other clients of that agent. I think that communication style that you brought up, uh, Andrea, is very important because some uh, agents don't talk to their to their uh, clients except maybe once a month or something. For me, it was very important that I get an email within 24 or 48 hours if I had a question or if I had like a, if I was freaking out about something. Uh, and so my agent does that, you know, and, and a lot of agents do not. Uh, so you have to find yeah. what's right for you. And of course, the editorial versus the non-editorial, some agents are, some agents aren't. So you really need to do your research and figure out what's the best fit. And don't get blinded by you know, like the promises of being published because... Yeah. It's very hard not to, but <laughs> yeah. Okay, so the next question I had was, what were your next steps after signing with your agent? How did you get from representation to publication, or was it the other way around? So, Kevin, let's go ahead and start with you. How about? Uh, well, so uh, after I signed with my agent, got uh, then he submitted it to nine different publishers. Four of them were actually interested. This blew my mind. Like I would actually have a choice, and then there was like a, a an auction that went on, and I did not have to necessarily choose the highest bidder, um, but I wound up doing so because is part of that bid was also some marketing stuff. There was a very detailed marketing plan with Del Rey that I didn't see with some other publishers. That was not just like, hey, we're going to acquire this and just, you know hope it sells it's more of like we're going to acquire this and make sure we try to make it succeed you know so that was a big deal to me um and then like one month afterward like in the process there's this bizarre period between the time when they make a, a an initial deal and then when they actually send, send you a contract like there it's a gray area of like 30 days to 3 months to 6 months i mean it just depends right so they start actually getting contract language hammered out. And in that period, they're saying, hey, Kevin, 
would you like to write the next two books now and then we will publish them all simultaneously or at least one month apart but you know i'm like is that that doesn't sound normal why why would i do that and they're like well here's why because we will concentrate our marketing for a season behind your debut and it tells booksellers that we are super duper behind you and you're going to be a big deal and it lets people who are binge readers actually dive into three books all at once rather than here's one book on the shelf that might disappear and then nobody ever sees it whereas if there's three books on the shelf the you know the odds of people coming across your name and picking one up are much higher so all of that stuff was in the favor of that particular scenario so then i had to write all three books and then once I got finished, I had to wait another year for them to be published. So I was in this bizarre twilight zone where like, I'm really a published author, guys. You just wait and see. Someday it'll be out there and you'll know that I actually wrote books. Uh, so, yeah, I finished in 2010. But then, they, you know, I, I, I'd written three books, but nothing got published till 2011. So that was a weird situation. I, but I can't argue with how well it worked because it did seem to work very well. And uh because it was working well, a whole bunch of other publishers were doing it. And I think bookstores just said, stop, we can't, we can't acquire all of these books at once like that. Uh, you know, so um, I was, there was a, a little marketing fad that was going on right at the time that I was entering uh, the industry and that has now gone away. Uh, there you go. Sorry about the long story. How about you, Moses? Uh, I mean, I think similar, I think there's like kind of a boilerplate of like, send it out to editors, see what happens. I have, so I got, it was a slightly different situation for my two books. So for Daughters of Oduma, which I will show again, um, this one, uh, followed the more traditional path. So my agent, Jim McCarthy, who's awesome. He's a genius. Um, he sent it out to like different rounds of editors. And then we went from there. We went with an editor that we liked and got it published. Um, for this one, I used to live in New York and I did a reading of a short story. And um, the editor of this, Carl Engelaird at Tor, he's also a genius. I'm just surrounded by geniuses. Um, he he liked what I wrote and asked me to send him something. And I was not, I'm not a prolific writer. So like five years later, I reached out to him on Twitter. I was like, hey, remember me from 1996? I have something. Um, and so that uh, went a different route. So it didn't have the same, like send it to several rounds of editors that we just went with Carl and, and went from there. Sebastian? Um, it, it was interesting for, for me, I had a weird process. My first phone call with Heather, I think, uh, she had told me in her letter, uh, when she said she wanted to represent me that, you know, she'd just gotten a six figure deal for another author, you know, a fantasy author. And, um, and so when we talked, I said, uh, she said, yeah, well, we'll, so we'll begin the process. And I said, good, uh, I'd like a six figure deal and I'd like it in three months, please. And she said, well, it's more like it's 18 months and, you know, you've never published anything. So that's not... And I said, I have faith in you. Um, and she thought I was completely nuts. But sometimes I think the key to life is like you make ridiculous statements to the universe. <laughs> and through some kind of bureaucratic error, uh, yours ends up on the right spot. And, and some deities, you know, sort of does it. So, so yeah, um, three months later, my wife and I were on a cycling trip. And, and Heather said, um, yep, we've, you know, got this deal. And she was super surprised in her email. She did the one thing for which I will never forgive her as long as I live. She misplaced a comma. And so it looked like she was saying that the offer was for four books was five figures instead of six. And, but 
but because the decimal was in a different place, it was like completely confusing. So I, so I had this very horrible 24 hours of not knowing whether it was like everything you hope for has happened or no, you're, you, you know, you're, you're going to still be doing other jobs. Um, so, it, so in that sense, it was smooth. But one of the things that was interesting with Heather, and I, I don't know if that, it, it sounds like in some ways that was the case um, with others here as well. She had a particular notion of kind of who she wanted for me, for the book. And part of her sort of vision, I think, was wanting to really pair me with an editor who she felt like would also be the next stage of my development as a writer. Um, and so she really wanted Joe Fletcher, who is, you know, pretty illustrious as a, as a, as a fantasy editor and she's, and she's fabulous. And, and that was absolutely the case. Um, so, so for me, I got lucky both because it was the right business deal, but it was also kind of the right creative partnership for me. How about you, Alexander? Yeah, so what was your process like? I think I kind of was, you know, coming from self pub, scrappy kind of underdog, <laughs> have to do everything for yourself. I continued on that trajectory. Um, I was, it was, you know, during the time when I was, I was in the process of vetting agents, and I had just, I was like, you know, I did this myself. I'm just going to go out and reach out to editors on my own too. Um, and I actually, I made contact with an editor at Orbit, but that kind of that kind of was just stagnant at a point and then and then I signed with with Ed and as as a bunch of you guys have pointed out connections are really important that's like one of the most important things uh for an agent to have and of course he had a bunch of his uh stable of authors had worked with Orbit and knew had worked with a bunch of the editors there so he kind of knew and had connections with a bunch of those so he was able to facilitate that um connection I I had originally made and and uh you know push it to, to the book deal uh, the three three book deal that happened and it, it also i think um what kevin had said it, it as a debut author it was that gray space between when when like the, i forget what they call it the, the initial offer or deal to the actual contract being signed was like and it's, again coming from self-publishing everything being under your control and um being able to just pull the, pull the trigger on everything and it being extremely fast <laughs> going to that and i i had ex i had set my expectations that this was going to be a lot slower but in reality it was it, everything is, is so much slower and, and i i didn't think i was an impatient person until, until uh, i started with traditional publishing. <laughs> yeah, my my submission to editors process was very long and very painful. The first um, book that went out on sub uh, died on sub, um, basically. So that was kind of me. So, you know, I did what they say you're supposed to do. I wrote another book and that went out on submission and I got some like nice, kind rejections. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Um, and then, so I'm like, okay, well, I guess I'll just write another book because, you know, you're a writer. That's what you do. You write, right? Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> and then that one went out on submission and we started getting offers like two weeks after it went out. Um, and then I got the preempt offer from Orbit. So we kind of had to decide, like, do we go to auction or do we take the preempt offer? And I love Orbit. Like, I think they're amazing. I've always enjoyed their books. I think their covers are great. So, you know, to me, it was like a no brainer and very like low risk. So <laughs> yeah, so we took the offer from Orbit. So that's how it worked for me. It's just a very 
took me a long time to get there. Got there eventually. <laughs> okay, so um, what about traditional publishing surprised you? So um, who did we not start with yet? I think Rebecca, we haven't started with you yet. Uh, well, some, I mean, I think everyone sort of mentioned it is how long it takes to do things. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, because we sold, you know, the, the manuscript within a week, but then it took 18 months to hit the shelves. Uh, and so, you know, by then you're like, what, what was my book about? What, what's going on? Like, you know, I'd already written another book, which I highly recommend actually in that sort of gray period, write another book because once your first book comes out, your life will change, uh, hopefully, maybe. Uh, and then you're going to just be under, you're writing under contract and you're on deadline and it just doesn't feel the same as when you're like, oh, I can write whatever I want. Um, so that was probably the most surprising. And then I think how invasive social media is. I'll just mention that in case you're not prepared. Uh, if you get lucky slash unlucky enough to like get popular and hit it big, um, uh, be prepared for, for the good, the bad, and the ugly uh, on social media. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah, I've heard it's even worse in like the YA space, but yeah. <laughs> Um, Kevin, how about you? What surprised you? Mostly recently with the uh, the attempted acquisition of Simon & Schuster by Penguin Random House. Um, oh, the stuff yes. that came out in that trial and everything, it, what surprised me is how little they know about what they are doing. And that the, the uh, CEO of Random House actually says, it's called Random House because we don't know what makes a book succeed. It's entirely random. And that was that was an actual thing he said. It's just random. Like, well, you've got whole departments called marketing and publicity, and they don't know anything either. So that part was was very uh, you know surprising to to hear. But also, uh, like like right now, we have like you know Twitter basically becoming non functional in terms of being a, a market marketable kind of place. Um, Mastodon is a lot of fun. I love the people there, but it is also very anti-capitalist and you can't really market anything there. So it, social media in general, unless you're wanting to go onto TikTok, which ha also has its issues uh, of various kinds, right? So it, it, it's very difficult to know what to do in terms of marketing going forward just to get the word out about your book because half the, well, maybe more than half the issue is just making people aware that your book exists. So uh, how do you do that now in this very different landscape? And uh, how do you get people to learn about your events? You know, so uh, I think that's the big challenge. And, and right now it seems like the publishers are, do not really know how they're in an adjustment period right now, as we all are. And so we're, we're trying to figure out what, what's going to work going forward. Um, and I was just surprised that, they didn't seem to know what was what was working and what wasn't beforehand. So, how about you, Moses? Yeah, that that, that trial was nuts. Um, <laughs> speaking of TikTok, if you're not following following Alexander on TikTok, he's got a rocking TikTok. Please <laughs> yeah. go do that now. Um, I think this is going to sound weird because it's kind of the whole game, but like. I think writers tend to either lean introvert or have introverted tendencies. Certainly the writing process is a novelist. It's very solitary. I'm just surprised that people say nice things about <laughs> my work. Honestly, that's like, it's just weird because it's so in my head. And as Rebecca said, there's this time frame to where like some weird fever dream I had like two years ago that I wrote down 
other people are accessing it and they're connecting with it in the same way I intended them to. Maybe that's what's weird for me too, is like they they get it. They I don't know, there's always a concern for me that like this is my most idiosyncratic strangeness that's manifesting in this book. And then to see somebody else who's like, oh, I totally get what you're going for. This resonated with me. This really makes sense. That is, I when I get to like Rebecca, Kevin, Sebastian, when I get to your level, maybe that will become normal. But as a debut, it's it's wild. It's it's really strange and cool. It's the so how about you? Oh, sorry, yeah. I just wanted oh. to say, makes it <laughs> worthwhile, right? All the pain and suffering when you connect with a, a reader, it's just like wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, how, oh, sorry. Go on. Go ahead. Oh no, I was going to say uh, just to to Moses' point that that feeling certainly doesn't go away for me. Like when I get I get this you know reasonable amount of, of, of sort of letters from from readers and, and stuff like that, and um, and they're always lovely. Um, but but sometimes you get those ones that are just you know I, I I don't like to think of them as fan letters per se. It's that it's that you and they connected with the same thing in the universe, and you found the words to articulate it. Yeah. And, and that sort of that awareness is it's almost like discovering it's almost like realizing that that you actually discovered something real, you know, you were never quite sure if it was really magic, like what you thought you had found out there and then put in your story. And then somehow, it, you know, it is because it's done the job that art is meant to do, which is to kind of awaken something in, in other human beings. Um, so, so that, that part is, is always amazing. That's a good part. Um, but just quickly on, on the original question of kind of what surprised me the most, uh, about traditional publishing. Um, and this is the thing that still surprises me the most about it, uh, actually day after day. It's, it's how people focused it actually is. And what I mean by that is your book's success is almost more dependent on whether the people inside the company, like everybody on the team that puts it out, is actually bothering to read it or actually likes it, uh, than external forces that you, you think it's going to be all about advertising and stuff. But most books, when they kind of fail, they fail in-house before they hit the market. And, it, and I don't know why this is. I, I have very little insight on it other than having, but I've gotten to work with a lot of different publishing teams over the years. Um, and, uh, and partly I've been really lucky. My books are translated into, you know, 15 or so languages. And so I've gotten to meet lots of different people in publishing. And it, it really kind of comes down to who inside the company is going to the meetings and like holding, the, you know, shaking the book in the air. Because if nobody's doing that, even if you've gotten a really great advance, sometimes you can just you can just watch as this, the the machinery just seems to kind of gum up, and so bu building relationships where you can. And by the way, I you know I'm, if any of my publishers are watching right now, they're like rolling their eyes because I'm horrible at this part, and I'm continuously the person that creates the most you know uh, conflict. Um, but, 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 you know, trying to really just get to know as many people as you can inside of that publishing house that you're working with, um, sometimes can make the difference that, you know, between the book doing really well and the book sort of disappearing. How about you, Alexander? What surprised no, that, you? I, I think that's a, that's a great point, Sebastian. And, and I think there's like a positive, just from my experience so far, I think there's not only for the purpose of, of as you said, getting uh, advocates of your book within the publishing house, but 
just from a more personal perspective, I find it gratifying just to be able to like meet the various people behind behind the book, even if it's not my book, but just being able to like interact with the various editors and what Orbit did, which was really cool. And this is something that surprised me just because I had done a bunch of research on what, you know, like Googling, what is a traditionally published author after being self-published that like was trying to figure it out. There was still a bunch of surprises like uh, Orbit did like a kickoff call um, and we're where everyone was on the call, like a bunch of a bunch of editors that weren't my editor and the you know art department and uh, the publisher, you know themselves, um, and that was just really cool. I I was not expecting to get to meet all the different people in each department, and it was really cool to see, um, you know, it's not just this faceless publisher, and I just have my editor, and and they're passing everything through them. It's it's all these very passionate people about books, and they're. They're all uh, at that point. I don't think they were all in office, but I thought that was really cool. And the other thing I found very surprising was as you know, uh, self-publishing, as I'm sure most people know at this point, it's pretty, pretty common knowledge. In order to do it right, you have to run a, a small business and you have to be be very sharp with with your cover and with your editorial process, but, you know, hiring people in all these different aspects that a traditional publisher would normally do for you. However, and I thought I had done a pretty good job in each of those aspects, copy editing, um, editorial beta readers, etc. I did, I was blown away uh, when I came, uh, you know, to start working with Orbit, Orbit and the the extra le- layers that that I had no idea happened, um, you know, first pass and just the number of copy editors that had their hands in in every manuscript and you know when when you get that manuscript uh, with like track changes, just the number of people that were actually commenting on it. I was saying this is not one person, this is not two people. This is like a few different voices, and like someone would just pop, you know, as you're scrolling down the manuscript looking at the edits you're just like who uh, who is this and you look up who this person is and you're like wow this is great i want to you know i want to meet that person um so i was quite and then just even after that you know all the the formatting and first pass it was definitely you know i'm sure there are self-published authors um you know as sebastian said like ben galley and some of these really david sd some of these really successful ones that have it down to a science and are are you know close to that level of a traditional publishing house but i was blown away again by by how many extra layers there were okay so i kind of um i know we're running short on time so i wanted to just actually just jump ahead to audience questions since we have quite a few okay. uh, let me make sure we have time for that so the first question we have is how important is having an established author platform across social media especially since most traditional publishers are pushing more of the art marketing responsibility onto the author so how important is that? Um, I'll just start real quick because uh, I kind of joke with my friends that uh, I would like to le- reach a level of popularity where I can just disappear from the internet and <laughs> still <laughs> sell books. The dream. <laughs> so like, I feel like that's kind of like the dream for an author, especially like, you know, Rebecca said, sometimes when you're on Twitter and everything, things can get a little bit a little bit of a dumpster fire sometimes. Um, <laughs> so, so what, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, just go ahead if anybody wants to jump in. Um, how important do you think that is? 
I think some, I'm going to jump in. I think some people are naturally good at it. And like, I admire them and it is amazing. And like, I see those authors and they blow up and they do great. And I'm like, wow, if only I could do that. Like I hear maybe Alexander, you have a little bit of that going on. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but I am not. I'm, Try, I'm not, trying. <laughs> I'm a hardcore introvert uh, and it hurts. <laughs> uh, I would just be wary. Uh, you know, publishers have so much more power uh, and they can reach people you can't even dream of. Uh, and they have access to booksellers and they have a whole sales team. So I kind of am against this whole idea of, oh, push that, you know, push the work off onto the author. Your job is to write the book. Like I didn't sign up to be uh, a marketer as well. I mean, I'm not a self-publisher and there's a reason, you know? And so I would push back a little on that. I think you probably do have to have some sort of platform. Uh, but I also am not a big believer in, um, you know, and that's that's not your primary job. Your primary job is to write the book. The reason you're with a publisher is they're supposed to be doing all that stuff for you. Yeah, just just my my only advice on social media largely is uh, just be nice and don't express your opinions. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean, it sounds ter- it's, it sounds like a weird thing to say. But I swear to God, I don't see any time where that it, going back to what Alexander had said about like, yeah, if you want to, if you, you can be an artist and you never need to sell a book to anybody. Right. And that's, and that's, you're as much an artist as anybody else on the planet. Right. If what you, if what you're hoping to do is build a, is, is have a readership and, and sell books and earn your living. Like a lot of us have been really privileged to earn our, 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 living as as novelists then you are kind of running a small business and you know when when the head of the local you know mcdonald's goes online and says you know i really think donald trump's got a lot of great ideas and some of those countries really do suck you know like all they're doing is destroying something and and to no end and and you know i don't uh, maybe others on the panel have more significant um philosophical and and political opinions to me but but mine are usually pretty ill-informed um like i'm you know pretty dumb about a lot of stuff so so the only thing i try to be good at is just be nice to everybody online and 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 just don't you're not there to shatter the wall between artist uh, and and art if you know i mean you can if you want but it's just going to be a huge drag like if you just see and YA, like because I'm in YA, uh, I sometimes I get to see what happens to people, uh, and it's and it's not fun, and it takes a long time for people to recover. And the worst part of that, going back to what Rebecca said, is you risk the most precious thing you have, which is your ability to write the best book possible. So, so that would be that, that's always a line for me. Go online right up until the point where it's going to affect your writing, and then pull back. Yeah, for for me, it's it's almost a logistical thing. Like I've been making a push to again, you know, from the coming from the self published, I kind of it's it's hard for me to discard that kind of scrappy go after it. It like I would say it's almost a weakness where I'm having trouble relinquishing control to some extent, which is great that I have an agent and an editor that are extremely forgiving and 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 fantastic. Um, but uh, from a logistical standpoint, I think it's just about, I see it, the problem with social media platforms is simply time. The, the, uh, I mean, if you're a debut author, the amount of, t- and especially if you're a debut author, you're likely, you still have a full-time job. Um, 
like I do, and the amount of time that it requires for any of these platforms like TikTok, the, the algorithm, all these platforms, the algorithm works on consistency. And that takes a ton of time. And that's time that you're not writing or, or creating. And I kind of see like you can be creative on on TikTok. I, I don't want to you know, say anything against content creators on TikTok because there's certainly a lot of very creative stuff. But as far as what, what we do as, as authors, I, I see it as as um, working against some of that creativity that you have to, you know, both spend time on and just like push out content. And that that's tough. So I think it's a balance, um, a balance of, of how much time and, and resources you have. Yeah. Okay, so we have another question here. I'm, I'm sorry, did anyone want to add something? Sorry. Maybe very quick. Kind of, okay, yeah. in part, echoing what I think Rebecca was saying is that, like, it is, it is your publisher's job. It really, <laughs> that is literally why they're there. But also, I think what Alex was saying is important, too. And with this whole process, all of it, is you kind of have to decide what you're comfortable with and what you feel you need to do to sleep at night with the project you've created, whether that's the amount of time you put into copy edits and first pass or this amount of time you put in social media at the end of the day, it's, it's your, it's your, it's your baby, you know, and you need to, you need to be comfortable with what you did, whether that's constant social media presence or none. Uh, there's a quote from Frank ocean. Somebody asked him why he doesn't do a lot of like live concerts and how like somebody, how they could get to that level. And he's like, you just got to be comfortable making a little bit less money. And I think like, that's always like, there's a trade off, you know, and you always got to figure out what you're trading. So another question we have, uh, when should you start querying agents? Can you start when draft two is done or would you recommend waiting until you have a more polished draft? Anyone want to jump in on that one? You do need to super quick. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Kevin. Oh, it's fine. Uh, you, you're welcome to go. It's fine. I don't... Oh, I'll be super quick. Make the best piece of art you can that you know how to make and, and then do it. Right. Like it's it's always going to come to that. It's less especially when you're starting out, it's less a tactical decision than it is just the the risk is the, the risk for me. What I experienced is as soon as you put it out there, all of a sudden your sort of sense of certainty and confidence just kind of becomes driven by other people's responses. So before you kind of show it to anyone else in the world, you should try to make the best piece of art you can. And if you do, it's not going to matter what anybody says, even if it never gets picked up, you're always going to feel like it was the greatest thing you did. And that's always going to be worthwhile. Yeah. I mean, I had a, um, I had my complete first draft that had a, you know, beta reader go through it. And then uh, my agent had made a couple of things, you know, a couple of uh, requests for changes, did those. And, and that the beta reader had, had taken place earlier, but the changes for the agents only took me a couple of weeks and then it was out. So, or, or I'm sorry, that I'm, that's actually for submission. I'm sorry. We're talking about when to go to query. I'm sorry. So, yeah, I, I basically, I, I did uh, a couple of things to it to, to fix it up after a couple of uh, partial manuscript rejections. But um, you're, you're ready to query when you feel that you've got a complete novel. And, and, and that novel is something that you can actually write a query letter for if you can pitch it, you know, uh, in, a, in a very short uh couple of sentences then you you've done a good thing there and uh the query letter basically is just to get the agent to request the manuscript and then hopefully you'll get some notes on that manuscript or you know of course you hopefully you get a, an offer of representation but if not you know some feedback that you can go forward with um so i and i didn't even i wasn't even going to send it out 
Um, my wife told me to. <laughs> she said this is better than most of the stuff I've read. I didn't think anybody was going to want to read about a druid and a talking dog. So uh, I had written it to entertain myself and, and didn't really think there would be a market for it. It was super surprised when there turned out to be one. So um, definitely write, as Sebastian said, the art for yourself and then um, get it out there and see what happens. Okay, uh, here's one that I think we probably all have the same answer to. Uh, to piggyback off Sebastian's point about opinions, I've heard that it's smart to pull any and all reviews, good or bad, but especially bad, off, say, Goodreads or Storygraph, et cetera. Any thoughts on that? Pull, pull James <laughs> I'm, I'm assuming <laughs> I mean, if, if they're talking about opinions, I'm assuming that they mean... Like pull it, like reading them. Read them. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah, no, I know exactly. Don't no, read no, your no. reviews. <laughs> don't do no, it. that's not. The, I don't think that's what the question means. I think. Oh, what, what okay. The, well, what do they? Yeah, I'll just be that? super quick. Look, I think the question's asking: uh, Should you take down your own negative reviews that you have posted oh. online oh. of other books, oh. so oh, as to not end question. up, oh. you know, oh. on a call with Kevin Hearn and have him look up <laughs> and say, you know, how <laughs> Uh, right. Which didn't happen, in, but because I love the book, but um, yeah, so it's, it's that. And I, I think as general practice, people should stop writing about everything they hate all the time. But uh, I would actually agree. I would probably take down stuff if I thought I'd said something that was going to really hurt somebody as a peer. Yeah, 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 yeah. I don't bother posting bad reviews. I could, yeah. I'll, I'll gush about the books that I love, but right. I, there's enough bad reviews out there. I don't need to be adding to it. Okay. I think I have a one-star review of Charles Dickens on Goodreads uh, because I just personally <laughs> can't stand it. You. I had, I had, I had to like teach it, and I refused to. I just, I just can't. I've never finished a book of his. Um, and then, uh, and then I have a, a review of uh, Letters to a Young Poet by you know Rilke that I really love. So th those are my two reviews up on Goodreads: one five-star and one one-star. So that's it. yeah, it's it's for the it's for the readers, right? Not the yeah. not the authors. Mm -hmm. Uh, okay, so I think we have time for just one more question. Uh, this person says, I am writing a trilogy, currently 120K uh, per science fiction book. If um, Should I be writing my next book in between the first and second? Should it be a completely different book while looking for an agent slash publisher? Mm. I, gosh, you know, I feel like this is one of those things where this is, there's going to be a huge survivorship bias where, you know, somebody goes and, like, writes the first um, two, three books and they get a publisher, they're going to say, yeah, you should go ahead and keep doing it um, because then you'll have them all done by the time it gets picked up. Um, for someone like me, I'm going to say, no, write a completely new book because, you know, somebody, you might not get it picked up by an agent. You might not get it picked up by a publisher, which happened to me like um, oh, five times. So, <laughs> you know, it's like, I feel like that's going to be something that it's going to depend on what worked out for the person you're asking. I think if you're being very methodical about like querying and that's your goal and you're just writing, you know, these uh, not one-offs, but not trilogies, it's probably good to do what Andrea said. But at the same time, if it keeps you writing to just write the next book in the trilogy, then I would do that. It depends on you as an author, like because end of the day, writing is, is hard, really hard. So if it keeps you writing to write the second book and you're interested in that and you think it's going to be a good second book, just just do that. Yeah, I did notice that when I got to the point of getting a book deal and having um, a three book deal, 
that I didn't know how to write a second book because I'd just written first books. So there's, you know, there's that counterpoint as well. Who knows? Yeah. Okay. I, I did exactly. Oh, no, I was yeah. going to say yeah, I did exactly. Yeah. I did exactly that. I, I while the first book was out on submission, uh, which was Trader's Blade, uh, I wrote another crazy, weird, stupid book called Spellslinger. And that ended up being the next part of my career. So, yeah, it's always anytime you're writing, you're doing the right job. Yeah, I wrote Hounded as a book to entertain myself while another book was on submission and supposedly had had it. it I had no it was an unagented submission. I wrote an epic fantasy and sent it out without an agent and got some very preliminary positive feedback. And like, we're going to send this to the next the next level of editor up, up the chain. But I didn't hear back for a year so so then while i was waiting to hear back i wrote hounded to entertain myself and then i got done and i still hadn't heard back about the epic it goes to auction one of the houses one of the publishers that that bid on hounded was the one that had been sitting on my epic for a year so so that, that but now i had an agent and my agent was said hey you've got his manuscript in a closet somewhere do you want it like, no, we don't want that one, but we really don't want Hounded. So that, that was kind of a funny thing. Uh, so it, it also illustrates the importance of having an agent who can ask them, you know, directly, hey, are you going to move on this manuscript? Because I couldn't do it as an unagented writer, you know. So, yeah. um, but, 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 you know, that, that's just highlighting what both Sebastian and Andrea, is it Andrea or Andrea? It's Andrea. It's Andrea. Okay. I'm sorry. I didn't want to mess it up. No, no. Um, so, uh, uh, what they were saying is that they they wrote something completely different while they were out on submission and for something else. And that's what I did. So I don't know if that's going, it, it might be a survivorship bias kind of thing, but um, whatever is making your brain fire up and get excited about, that's what you should do. Go where the juice is. Always be productive. All right. We are at 12.01 PM. So this panel is now over, but I wanted to thank you all for joining me and for answering these questions. I think, you know, it was, if I were an aspiring author, this would have been super helpful to me.